Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Too Short, and you're listening to Rebel Radio, bitch. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. We talk about how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show to bring you new music every week from our friends over at EDM.com. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I take you on a very special journey. We go into the studio with Too Short. We went to to Short's creative compound that he's created uh, down in the Arts District. It's a big episode for me. I'm, I'm a Too Short fan from day one. If you don't know, I grew up in the Bay, bumping Too Short um, since the mid-80s. Songs like Blowjob Betty, City of Dope, Girl, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Um, Short's been a major influence in my life, and, uh, and it was great to dig in with him on, on, first of all, how do you build a career that's now going into its fourth decade? Um, Short has changed the game many, many times. He, he's impacted the evolution of hip-hop several times, giving us um, the kind of Bay Area heyday in the, in the early mid-90s. Guys like Spice One, Pooh Man, Drew Down, The Loonies. Um, Short was kind of the, the godfather of all that. He uh, kind of partnered with E40, maybe informally, but essentially launched the hyphy movement out of, uh, out of their partnership. Um, and he just has some incredible lessons that I think we can all enjoy. Um, first of all, you'll hear from him that it starts and ends with music. Um, he's uh, as much in the hip-hop tradition as he is in the funk tradition and just hearing him talk about that and what it means to him Um, and then secondly um, he he teaches us that how you treat people is is everything Uh, both on stage in life in business all of that matters and uh, he's got some great stories to share we'll get into that right after the edm.com track of the week That was Young Goat with Count This, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com and check out more new music. And let's get into the interview with Too Short. I'm good. Cool. Well, man, I appreciate you having us. Your dope-ass house here. Yep. What's going on? What's going on? Um, so first, I, I got to remind you a couple things that you definitely won't remember. <laughs> But, um, you know, I started my career as a journalist mm-hmm. at UCLA in 1990, and they, they told me I had the job. I, I'm from the Bay. Well, I should start back. I'm from San Francisco. Okay. Went to Let's... McIntyre High School. Nobody. Where, uh, uh, I saw you come up, 
you know, selling tapes in the in the parking lot. And yep, all know all about it. Um, and so grew up a Too Short fan. There we go. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was my first. Uh, I don't want to make this about me, but I got. I, I, I went to intern at Motown Records, and they they brought me in for a job interview, and they're trying to get to know me, and they're like. You know, these three, like, R&B dudes from Motown, you know, during the Boys to Men time. And they're like, who, you know, who are your favorite artists? And I'm like, too short. And they all looked at me like, <laughs> I'm this young white kid. Like, that's not what they're expecting me to say. Um, Bay Area all day. So I got hired at, at UCLA to write for the school paper. And my first day, actually, I had become friends with the publicist at Jive Records, who was like, they gave me my first day. I, I had a phone interview with KRS-One in the morning. And then I came to your house where you had your studio in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And we spent like the whole day together doing the interview. <laughs> um, and so we've crossed paths a few times. That's and, cool. And that's cool. Oakland that's cool. Dub C. The, um, the studio downtown Oakland. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, yeah. a nice spot. Huh? Um, and I met Shorty B and like the yeah. whole crew at the time. And, uh, and you know, you're one of the people I was telling uh, Arshia about. Um, Ice-T was real generous to me, you know, mm-hmm. as a 19-year-old nobody who he didn't have to be cool to. And yep, he was the, that guy, man, he, you know. But you were the same way, man. Like, I, you didn't know me, and, I, you know, I came I mean, into you. But the things you come into on your on your way up, you know, kind of mold you into who you are. So yeah, I saw certain people at certain levels, you know, giving me a certain, you know. Yeah. I like those kind of people. So that's when it was my turn to be the, you know, the OG or whatever. I said, yeah. that's what I emulated, how they got down. And I, I always, to this day, man, I still, you know, treat the youngsters with, with you know, open arms, respect. What's up, man? I, I, give, I give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how many of us are going <laughs> to become mega stars or, right. you know, impactful in life or be around a long time. You never know. So. Yeah. And, and you know, I wonder... If that has something to do with the longevity, I mean, I know you just put out what is it, your 21st album, The Vault? The delinquents, Oakland niggas, hella wild. What you think, bitch? I'm from the east, but the west is hard. I leave the town and come fuck with the rest of y'all. I, I stopped counting, but you can call it 21. I don't, okay, I don't even want to get off into the technical. Well, look, of, to have a career as long as you've had, uh, with as many firsts and achievements as you a lot of elements to it, absolutely. A lot of elements. I, I think that one of the major parts of longevity is how you treat people. Yeah. Like, because you got to be able to hang around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you really, if you're in this thing for a long time and you got a bunch of enemies, you know, it's not going to be a lot of places to hide. So. For sure. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, I, I, I give out what I, what I expect back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, what, that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Rebel Radio is brought to you by the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn 5% back at Walmart Online. Games for the kids, headphones for dad, a laptop for mom, doesn't matter. You get 5% back at Walmart Online. You also earn 2% at Walmart in-store, restaurants, and travel, and 1% everywhere else. When you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Capital One N.A. Um, so take us back to the very beginning. Do you, do you remember the first record you ever bought? First record, period, yeah. just record. I, I remember like that you you know that wasn't your parents that you picked out for yourself. So me and music have a a, a very 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 long story together. Like of course, 
I was a kid. I could never remember the first record I bought. Okay. Never. Okay. I was a kid who grew up in the 70s. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, a dollar would buy you pockets full of candy. Yeah. Like a dollar was. Oh, yeah. A dollar was, a, you know, something you could like stretch out a little bit. So I would get a hold of a dollar at the age of eight. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to um, the record store. And a, a, a one little 45 back then was like, you could buy it with a dollar and they might have gave you a nickel back or yeah, a couple I think pennies like, back yeah, or something. Yeah, I think it was less than a dollar. Yeah, but with a dollar, I was like, I could buy that song out here on the radio. Yeah. So early on, my parents, as most parents probably did, lots of parents did, bought the music that they liked. They mm-hmm. purchased albums. Mm-hmm. And they purchased 45s and they were in the house. And me, in my own world, I went and bought another set of 45s. And I'm like, you know, these are mine. So what are some of those records? I know you won't think of the first one, but. No, I literally, man, because I'm from one of those houses where you could just go in there and just listen to music forever. Like like it was just uh, such a big selection of what they had. Mm that my little few records I was buying were probably just the hottest thing on the radio at the time. I, yeah. I, I mean, the memories of list, listening to music, <laughs> my memories of buying music is basically try to save a dollar sure. to buy any song that you like. Yeah. Buy it. Um, at that started in elementary school. It went all through middle school. When I was in high school, when I first heard hip hop, mm-hmm. I still would take my a 12-inch single back then was two ninety nine or something. Right. Whatever it fuck it was, I would take what I had and buy a record the day that records came out, which was usually like a Tuesday or something. Yeah. So, um, listening as a child, it was um, my parents were very Motown influenced. Okay. Like when I say Motown, I'm saying a lot of Temptations, a lot mm-hmm. of Marvin Gaye, you know. Probably a lot of Diana Ross and Supreme, a lot of Smokey Robinson, a lot. Like they were on that shit. So yeah. then that spills over into all the non Motown shit, the soul music of the 70s, the James Browns, the, you know, Isaac Hayes, mm-hmm. Barry White, or whoever. They were into all that shit. Like that shit was all through the house. Um, I remember like vividly listening to entire albums because I was interested in like instruments and and voices and I I was listening to the mix and shit like I would Mm -hmm. I would notice that some songs would have like words and sounds popping out because the headphones was my thing sure sitting the headphones or I used to sit in the middle of the stereo just right in the middle you still do that yeah of course I can't even mix a song without listening to it in the headphones like that's just how I hear music but yeah um I would sit there and analyze these albums like Ohio Players or maybe a James Brown song or, you know, um, anything they had. Like a lot of the temptations. I was into this music that was funky and at the same time uh, had a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And not like a lot of busy sounds like, 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 you know, like something that was just noisy busy yeah. but but just like parliament kind of busy where mm-hmm. it's all in the pocket mm-hmm. in the funk James Brown kind of busy you know James Brown would um 
have you in the funkiest song, and then he would just say, break it down, and then he started individualizing the, you know, the keyboard player, yeah. give him some, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it just, mm -hmm. for a kid who, you know, was imagining all of, um, you know, all this stuff right in front of me, imagine like, I'm in the band. That right. was my, I will, that was my first dream was to be in the band. I, I knew for a fact that I had to do. You played drums? I played drums as yeah. a kid, but then I also tried to master any instrument I could. Just, I try to, you know, like, um, give me a bass guitar and I'll try to play, um, uh, Money, 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 boom, 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 boom. You know, yeah. I just I would just try to sit there and do it until I found those sounds, and I was good at it. Uh, we got somebody at the do at the door, a Drew Banger. Um, so I could isolate a sound in a song long before I was a rapper, long before I ever did a studio session. I could find the saxophone player in a song and just listen to what the saxophone player was doing. Mm -hmm. And I took music lessons at an early age and all this stuff just added to just the way I listen to music, uh, the way I learned to play music, the, the years I marched in the marching band. When I finally heard hip hop, I heard it, each, each piece of it, I heard right. I said to myself as a drummer, as a person who could read drum patterns, read them on a sheet of paper, I listened to rap, the cadences, and I was like, I could do that. Yeah. And, you know, if you, I tell people now, which is not true, but I say, if you could sing along to a rap record, memorize it, and rap with them, you probably could be a rapper. But that's not really true. Right, you can't just, write. I give, I give certain people hope. Like, that's motivation to, <laughs> to hopefuls. But in my case... I mean, I think writing lyrics that, are, that connect with people is very different. In my case, listening to a song like Rapper's Delight and rhyming every word and memorizing it clarified between me and myself. I could sure. do that. Like, sure. I knew I could do that. I listened to Curtis Blow. The, these did the first records I was hearing was like Curtis Blow mm -hmm. and Christmas rapping. Mm -hmm. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the Hold house. it now, wait, hold it. That's played out. Hit it. you give me all that job about things you wrote before eyes alive because this ain't 18 20 some early grandmaster flash stuff i was like i could do that and i first heard hip-hop being called hip-hop like i've heard songs like even some parliament stuff and there were records back in the day that had like rap rap cadences but yeah. they weren't calling the hip-hop right right fat back and yeah that's like, that yeah. type shit yeah. yeah and but when they started calling it hip-hop I probably, I think Rapper's Delight was the first one that we really just got on the West Coast and then they came yeah. back to back to back. For sure. That was 1979. Yep. By 19, the summer of 1980, I was grabbing a tape recorder going, I could do this. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't even a year after I first heard it that I was trying to do it, so. And were you, at what point, because <clears throat> like I said, you know, I, you know, growing up in the Bay, you know, I'm from Fillmore, I went to McIntyre uh -huh. and like, we always knew of two short as, you know. These dudes just walked in, San Francisco dudes. Oh, okay. Um, but at what point did you start thinking of it as a career? Um, Hip-hop in the early 80s was not career conversation. Of course. And the reward of being a rapper was 
the one moment you got the mic and you got the crowd and yeah. they love you. Yeah. The one moment that somebody puts you in the studio and you rapped in mm -hmm. the booth and then you came out and they played it in the studio. That's the moment. The sure. moment was you're somewhere in the world. Who, who cares where? You on the bus, you in a car, you at the house, whatever the fuck you at, and your song comes on the radio. Mm -hmm. Those were those hip-hop moments you live for. Yeah. Just, just to rock the crowd, just to hear it being played, play my shit at the club while I'm standing in the corner, whatever the fuck was your dream, those were the hip-hop type dreams. Um, my, I had a rap partner in the early days, his name is Freddie B. Mm -hmm. Freddie B's from Oakland. I moved from LA to Oakland. And when we partnered up, we, we made, the first time we made music together, he said, we should sell this. And I'm, my, my initial reaction was to who? Like, right. who's gonna buy it? Yeah. And he said, let's go walk down here, some dudes down the street selling weed, let's go sell it to them. Mm -hmm. They got money. So the benefit of the whole situation was he was from Oakland. He knew people. Sure. So that gave us the, the icebreaker to even approach the dudes down the street who's selling weed that I didn't know. And um, long story short, they bought a tape. And somebody liked that tape that didn't buy it and was like, I want one too. Right. And we really started selling tapes. So my early on dream for hip hop after just initially like conquered and saying I, I can do it, my next dream was I'll make some money off this. Like even if sure. it's just pocket money, I'm like I'm yeah. about to make some money. We started adding up how many cassettes we could buy, blank cassettes, put music on them, mm -hmm. make a profit, and we we made a high school hustle out of it. I, that was my job in high school. I sold tapes, so mm -hmm. um, never had a dream of a career. Okay, never had a dream of being a recording artist. Never had the dream of being legendary or doing it for a long time. That was not in the moment. Yeah. We were trying to make the next hot tape. Yeah. In the moment, the biggest thing we ever probably blurted out as a dream or, 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 or great expectations of ourselves was, let's get on the fucking Greyhound. <laughs> you see this wreck? We're looking at a record like it could be fucking... Um, run dmc it could have been it probably could have been like dr jekyll and mr hyde mm -hmm. fucking genius rap mm -hmm. and we're looking at the record and it's profile records is the label and it's got a fucking address we're like let's get on fucking greyhound pull up to this fucking address and just walk up in there and get a deal <laughs> but we were not never gonna get a greyhound ticket we didn't you know right. that was just some shit sure we walked up in there they signed us right off the spot right that's just kind of you know shit you talk but the best part about all of this was the music industry was never going to come to Oakland. Mm -hmm. It was not coming to San Francisco. For sure. Not the hip-hop industry. It was, <clears throat> well, we created our own industry, but it was definitely in New York, mm -hmm. and it was definitely in L.A. Mm -hmm. You had references. People had records out. Right. So at some point... I got the whole notion of of taking it to the next level from guys who weren't in hip hop. These were guys who had independent labels 
it was a guy named Mickey Mickey Mo. Mm -hmm. He had an independent label. I think it was Hodis Records or something. It was a guy named Steve Walker okay. who had a record called Tally Ho. And I looked at his record. It looked like he did something to put it out by himself. Bay Area shit. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I came across a guy named uh, Dean Hodges who had a label called 75 Girls. And... You know, they just, these were just, there's a lot of little labels like this around sure. the Bay. Yeah, yeah. Vallejo, you mm -hmm. know, different parts of the Bay had these little labels, but none of it was hip hop. Right. It was like just little R&B guys, it could have been the blues, whatever, but they had known the formula of how you record, how you get it pressed up, mm -hmm. how you take it to the distributor. Mm -hmm. I got that game from, from them, from, yeah. from Dean Hodges and that world where you know these r&b guys were doing their own little joints and no matter how big it went it still was you, you had a record in your hand right so that's my first experience with with 75 girls records literally going from you know step through step of how to make a, a record let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or your various projects i'm curious to know how you all do it I know for us, finding the right freelancer can sometimes be time-consuming, frustrating, expensive. Um, if, if you don't get the right freelancers on your project, uh, you got problems. Thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. Fiverr is a marketplace that connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services. Graphic design, copywriting, web programming, video editing, I don't know what else you need. They probably have it. You should go check it out. You can search by service, deadline, price, reviews. Uh, you know exactly what you're paying for up front. Fiverr has excellent customer service 24-7 and ultimately connects you with quality talent you can count on. Take five and check out Fiverr.com and you'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code REBELRADIO. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve. Go to F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code Rebel Radio. Fiverr, it starts here. So I want to kind of keep going with that story, but I want to jump to today for a minute, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, how do you, now you're worldwide, you're, you know, the music is, the, the, the uh, uh, music is digital, mm -hmm. right? And uh, obviously, you know, you've changed, the business has changed, the world's changed since that time. But what I'm wondering is, you know, how do you apply that thinking from the dope game, from the street, you know, hustle of, of uh, uh, selling records independently? Like, how do those lessons that you picked up still affect the way you do business today? I look at, I look at it like I'm a music guy, man. I'm like, a lot of rappers are not music guys. Sure. They're rappers, yeah. and they can you can give them a beat and they'll kill it. But I'm a music guy. I know how to create the music. I know mm -hmm. how to put the create the words and the music and put it all together. And I'm just hell bent on this. The same little dude that had the headphones on at elementary school analyzing the Ohio Players record. When I'm in the studio, it's the same thing. I'm like, this shit is funky. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say, you know, a, a B-side record from Ohio players like Jive Turkey. Go mm -hmm. look it up.
listen to a song like that, I'm a little kid going, this is my shit. It's not the fucking single, it's not on the radio, right. but yeah. it's funky as fuck. Yeah. Like, James Brown, they all had these songs. Cameo, they all had these songs that we loved. Yeah. You know, groups like One Way and shit, they would have a song out that was on the radio, but then they'd have these other three songs mm-hmm. that weren't, that was funky as fuck. I love that shit, so when I'm in the studio, no matter at what age I've ever been, at what point in my career I've ever been, I'm like, I have this foundation that is flawless. It's yeah. called the funk. Yeah. And you can't outdate me. You can't, you can't fucking, you can't change the, the music without the funk. It mm-hmm. always stays. It's in pop music. It's in, it's in R&B. It's in fucking EDM. It's the funk. And like, you have a lot of music that's big, that's not necessarily that James Brown funk foundation, right. but you also have the continuance of the basic James Brown, that one, two, three, four, that funk on the one, boom. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. For sure. That shit ain't going nowhere. And I know the, the ology, the ism of what that is. So therefore, if you're a Dr. Dre or the Eric Sermon or... Fat Joe of E40, like if you found your thing mm-hmm. that you know is sort of timeless or it's, it's just your magic, you know? Mm-hmm. Some of us have found it, you know, the Snoop Dogs, we know how to sit at in the studio in your 40s and find your, and, and get in where you fit in. Yeah. You know, so now I'm, I'm, where I'm sitting right now is I'm literally feeling like I'm 14 years old selling tapes in Oakland right now because yeah. I'm 53 years old and I'm in my mind I'm like I'm not stopping mm-hmm. so what what does that mean you know what I mean where, where give me the formula give me the the um the, the instructions on how to do that there are none sure so how the fuck do you how the fuck are you gonna be a 54 55 year old rapper how gonna figure it out man I'm gonna figure it out like somehow so, but you've always done that. You've always not had the playbook and figured it out, right? I just told you what it is. It's always been the funk. Okay. It's been nothing other than the funk. Okay. And actually just being myself, being real as fuck, mm-hmm. and adding the two together. Like, yeah. I, I go out and touch the fans. I don't just let them look at me and, and say, I go out and actually touch them. Like, if I do a club date, I might walk through the crowd. I might let a lot of people come up and say what's up, whatever. Like I feel like that's that po- that politician shit. That yeah. shit where you're out campaigning and you take all these fucking pictures and you're smiling and, you, and you're fucking holding babies and shit. And mm-hmm. That shit means something. That's why politicians do it. That's why, you know, that's why some of them use it as a tactic, part of their tactic to get elected. Yeah. It's to touch the people. Like, yeah. that's how I see it. So I, I, there's a lot of elements to it, man, to the longevity, but the funk is the one that is the biggest secret that you could tell the world, and they still, either they get it or they don't. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's funny you talk about your show. So I was managing Dub C in the 90s during the whole West Side Connection thing, mm-hmm. and I know y'all did a song together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came open for you in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. and I was there. And, you know, Dub, like we're, me and Dub C, we're, like we're hip hop fans, we're two short fans. And so we're standing backstage watching, and I remember, you know, our show. He tried to go out there, you know, he's coming from that gangster thing, especially then, mm-hmm. and it was like high intensity on stage. And then we, we go, we're standing backstage watching you, and you go sit down on the front <laughs> of the stage, and you're like, you it's know, rap. touching people and, and talking to them, you it's, know. It's a face. whole different thing. Yeah. I, 
it's just my style though. Like I, I, I don't, I, I don't think that I couldn't do a show with some dancers and some fucking explosions and shit. I could do this shit, sure. but I, I kind of like the style. Of, like, I, my style comes from house parties. Right. From literally me being the DJ at a house party in the hood. I'm DJing and I'm grabbing the mic and I'm just rapping and they standing right there and I'm like. Everybody's having a good fucking time. So right. every time I ever saw the microphone when I was, you know, a teenager, I'd be at a dance. I'm not the DJ. I'm just at a dance, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sizing up the DJ like, like, all right, I'm gonna go get at him. So I'm like, uh, like, you ever heard of Too Short? Nah. I'm like, you should put on an instrumental and give me the mic. And they're like, why the fuck would I do that? I'm like, bruh, put on, you got such and such, put the instrument on and watch this. And if I talk him into it, it never fails. What's the instrument you didn't flow to? It, it wouldn't matter. I'm just it's like, whatever. what the fuck you got? Like, if yeah. it's just in that right tempo, okay. it's not about the beat. It was about what I'm going to do to the crowd. Because I'm actually, every time I get the crowd, I'm going to make them, I'm going to say something that they already know. So they're going to be singing along with me. Then I'm going to make them say shit back and forth with me. And I'm going to actually look at the moment. I know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So I might say something about the neighborhood I'm in or the most people that's standing over there or both groups. I'm going to bring the whole crowd. They're going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah. I might name a few people. And I'm going to win because I'm mm-hmm. I already, before I even went up to the DJ, I sized the room up. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm, I don't freestyle. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to work this fucking room. Mm-hmm. And all you got to do is give me the mic. So I, I every time... You, you make the crowd bigger and bigger, so you do that at a house party. You do it at a dance. You do it at a fucking theater. Mm-hmm. Then you do it at a fucking uh, small arena. Then you do it at a fucking st- stadium. Right. It's the same shit. It doesn't change. You look at the fucking crowd. You size. I used to, when I used to go out of town, my first tour I ever went on was the NWA Straight Outta Compton tour. All these groups would be going on. I, I used to go on right before NWA. So all these groups would be going on, all this shit going on, and I would walk through the crowd and kind of just, at this point, people would be like, oh, that's too short or not. It wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I'd be in the crowd, 15, 20,000 people, and I'd be asking certain people, I'm like, who got the most, who got the most people in the house right now? They'd be like, oh, shit, you know, Eastside up in this motherfucker something. I'm like, mm-hmm. Eastside, like where? They'd be starting breaking down a little couple of neighborhoods and streets. Right. All that's coming out on stage. And they love that shit. Of course. Love that shit. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd have a little homie from the town. He's like, man, say something about such and such and then name so-and-so. Watch this shit. And they just be like, I was just that, that guy. I, even yeah. when I jumped off stage, 15,000 people, I walk in the crowd and they like, nobody had cameras and shit. What am I saying? Take pictures. Mm-hmm. But they'd be like saying shit like autographs or something or whatever the fuck. And I just walk through and people... If they start acting like a fanatic or something, like I can't, I can't, I'm about to fall out my skin because I see too short. I'm like, look, look, calm the fuck down, shake my hand, give me a hug, whatever. I'm regular folks say, what's up? I don't like that weird shit. Right. And they be like, all right, all right, man, my bad, my bad, whatever. And it's cool, man. And that's how I handle people through life. I've, I've been in situations where I feel like the next motherfucker probably would have folded and just crumbled and just got eaten alive. And we just walk in there and walk out like I'm, you know. Floating around um, New Orleans at the fucking Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And it's just me and my homie. And we from Oakland. And we in New Orleans with a bunch of diamonds and shit on. And, and we just walk around the parade. 
and some little gangsters walk up, like, you know, get put the little surround move on us, and like, yeah, man, what the fuck y'all doing around? Where you got from? I'm, I'm like, man, we from Oakland, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, bro, we, I, I know a few things to say, right? Of course. So, chopping it up, I see the little homie want to get down. I'm like, man, look at this, man. I'm like, we from, we from Oakland. Smell this shit right here. He's like, what's that? I'm like, this is the best weed you ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. He's like, damn, what the fuck is that? I said, let's smoke it. So we standing on the corner waiting to see if they want to jump us and rob us. Right. Or if they want to become homies. And we just stand there, powwow, we, we smoking, we sit there. They, they realize, like, we're not running, scared, nothing. And they like, they like, man, y'all should come fuck with us. We from right there. Like, come on, let's go fuck with y'all. Mm-hmm. And then the, they say shit like this. Motherfuckers say, man, you know what? We was about to rob y'all, but y'all cool as fuck. Right. Or some shit like that. We was going to rob y'all, but y'all ain't even scared. Y'all like, like, bro, if you ever came to Oakland, you, like, you right. come to our town. Yeah. And then it just, you just get this camaraderie with these real motherfuckers. Like, I'll I see somebody 10 years later, and they be like, man, I remember that one time, man, me and my homies was about to rob short. He broke out this weed. We kicked it. I'm like, that was you. Like, you know, it, it keeps coming back around the same shit. Right. And I just, you know, I just learned early on also to kind of not, you don't work your way up mm-hmm. in the crew. Mm-hmm. You just always just go to the top. Mm-hmm. And you just, I fuck with bosses. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that alleviates a lot of problems of, of uh, working your way up in the crew. Brought to you by the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn 5% back at Walmart online, 2% at Walmart in-store, restaurants and travel, and 1% everywhere else. When you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And, and you know, I think part of your, you know, as I've been thinking about your career and, and you know, you've made certain decisions along the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so when E40 came up, you know, you were the biggest rapper in the Bay. And I think there's a lot of people, you look at, you know, hip hop is full of beef, right? And there's a lot of people who would have seen him as a threat and gone at him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and but you guys have now been partners for years, collaborated on you know, a lot of things, done some amazing work together. Um, tell me about that decision to, I don't know if you reached out to him or to, to sort of embrace him, because you didn't have Well, the old Bay, because I don't want to speak on the politics of the Bay now, because there are a lot of politics going on with young rappers and their different sure. crews and shit that I don't know the backstory, so I don't speak on everything. Yeah. But the old way it was was that just about every rapper was affiliated to something very street. Right. And the yeah, streets the streets had its own map, its own rules and regulations. The street was some real shit because it was the inner workings of who sells dope together, mm-hmm. who's who's enemy, mm-hmm. what area don't get along, what, you know, who fucking uh, is not supposed to fuck with, just all this shit. And you had affiliates. Like, like we would frequent, my crew in Oakland would frequently visit our affiliates. Mm-hmm. Our affiliates lived in different parts of the Bay. They would invite you into their little wild neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We, you know, powwow, we hung out, we smoked, drink, we barbecue we go somewhere together mm-hmm. we you know we had this camaraderie thing and it would usually have to do with the fact that somebody in the two clicks probably did a little dirt together or whatever yeah. they probably had a 
whatever the connection was, mm -hmm. it was trust. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, strength in numbers. So Oakland and the guys that I ran with had that thing going with Vallejo in a major way. Like, we did a lot of shit together. Like, over the years, like, I got a lot of homies from Vallejo from back in the day where we literally would gather up, you know, hundreds, like, we mm -hmm. deep, real mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. And we go venture out in the world to some event or something. And, you know, we knew that together, like, not, there was no force in the Bay sure. that could push us around. Like, we, a lot of respect, a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys, different areas, a lot of respect. But when you get that, that back in the day, that Oakland Vallejo, and we'd be sitting there in our little mushroom... He wasn't fucking with that. It was a lot of money. It yeah. was a lot of muscle. And it was a lot of respect. And it was a lot of... Um, you didn't want to push us first. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's that's what the E42 short thing was born from. So the guys who I was with, like this, they had business, street business, with E40 and his family. Mm-hmm. And when it turned into music business, we, we was just fam. Like back in the day, nobody was thinking about doing songs with each other. Right. You do you you do your own album. You and your boys make your own beats. Mm -hmm. We hang out together. We we hang out together for every fucking day. We never think of, damn, we should do a song together. It right? just was unheard of. Yeah. And the reason why me and Forty first did a song together was because of some beef shit that was supposed to happen from Summer Jam. Mm. that uh, KMEL, the radio station, was trying to kick up some dust between me and 40 and kind of turn us on each other. And That's good for ratings. But they didn't know when they did that. They thought they were turning like E-40 and his big bad cousins on Too Short and his homies. And, you know, it was going to be like, like, don't nobody, ain't nobody going to do that shit to 40. Like, like mm -hmm. you know, like they, mm -hmm. it was almost like they was trying to sick E-40 on me right. and start this shit. But they didn't do their homework and know that what the whole story I just told you mm -hmm. had already existed. Mm -hmm. And the fucking foundation was so deep that the shit they tried, they tried to uh, do a fake phone call. Oh, wow. And they had a, a, a comedic kind of fake too short call <laughs> and talk shit about 40 on the morning show. Oh, wow. And he was, guess he was doing a good enough version of my voice that... 40, I don't know if he heard it or just heard about it, but that morning, like, the shit probably was still airing, mm -hmm. and he called my phone. Mm -hmm. Like, and I pick up the phone and go, what's up, man? And we just have a normal conversation. And he's like, that wasn't you? I'm like, me what? He's like, on the radio talking all that shit. Nah, it wasn't me. He was like, it's all I need to know. It wasn't you. On, it wasn't you. I'm like, nah, it wasn't me. He's like, all right, how later? And that was it. And then, That's crazy. And then the whole shit about the fake shit and, you know, the, the stuff that just happened at the, the radio station show. So they was trying to f put it together and turn us against each other. So we get back, we tap back in and we're like, look, man, these folks want us to be like enemies and all this shit. And we, we, we debating intelligently, mm -hmm. like, how should we counter this? Like, what, mm -hmm. what should we do in light of this? And it was like, fucking do a song together. And we made a fucking hit record. It was called Rapper's Ball. Yeah, yeah. And that really, that song, the love that that song got and the 
the the thing that it gave birth to of dozens of songs that me and E Forty have made since then together. Yeah. yeah. It, it was born from some hate shit. <laughs> it was supposed to be on some real hate shit. That's like crazy. It, was, it was supposed to tear us apart yeah. and make us enemies. And that, that shit gave birth to who could count how many songs Too Short and E-40 made together. I have no idea. For sure. I have no idea. And it's probably like 10 of them that, that have never came out that, that mm -hmm. I listen to every now and then. We got some dope shit that we made that we never released. Nice. Why? I don't know. What's up, bird? Follow that cap, it got Yola in it. Yola. My partner's shout got some bros. I'm always hearing rappers big balling on their songs. I live like that for real, and you'll never say I'm wrong. That's 500 straight sitting on 20s. TV in the dash, dipping fast. So, what about, uh, you know, at one point you signed to Jive Records, and then, you know, you were independent before that, independent after that. Um, how, how have you navigated those decisions? I mean, you know, you, we sit here and you're. In your spot. So let, me, let me take you through another one of my journeys. Okay. So, we have this conversation in hip-hop. It could be a Bay conversation. It could be a hip-hop conversation. But we have all these conversations about, what the fuck did you do? Who, who you put on? What you do? What you do in the game? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And from the start, from day one, I have, I told you about 75 girls. Just some guys that had some money. It was dope money. Mm -hmm. And they've had a little label and buying studio sessions. Um, we put out those 75 Girls records. It was my first album, Don't Stop Rapping. I went on and did my thing as Dangerous Music. Mm -hmm. Dangerous Music was a company that I'm at, I'm at 75 Girls. I'm under Dean Hodges. Dangerous Music is a label that I started with Dean Hodges' little brother, his first cousin. And then we went to Ted Bohannon, mm -hmm. who financed it. Mm -hmm. And we started our own label, away from Dean. So now we, we're, we're the owners. With Dean, I was just a worker. Sure. Now I'm the owner. And if you go back, check the track record. I was at a club one night. I saw Rapping Forte in San Francisco murdering the crowd, just mm -hmm. like killing them. And I just beeline straight to him. Who the fuck are you? What's up? We need to be fucking around. I get him to the studio. I start recording him. I never signed Forte because mm -hmm. I was, over the years, a lot of people I fuck with, I didn't sign. I just kind of like molded them a little bit and kind of sent them in the right direction. Um, I brought him in. I had Spice One. Mm -hmm. I used to go to his mama's house. Mm -hmm. My DJ, uh, his name was Pizzo. He found Spice One, told me all about it. He, Spice One was like 11th grade or something. We used to go tell his mama he's going to go to the studio, do some rapping. We're going to bring him back home. Pick him up at the school, bring him back to the studio, got got his feet wet, got him started. Um, um, you know, later in life, uh, I got I, I got with Aunt Banks and Pooh Man. Mm -hmm. They had been signed to a dude named Bruce who got killed, and it was kind of in limbo. So I'm like, bring it on over here. Come on, Bruce was my homie. Let's get this shit out. Let's do it right. I got the motherfuckers' deals and um. Both of them got individual deals at Jive Records, mm -hmm. Pooh Man and Ad Banks. Mm -hmm. um, if you ever had a chance to talk to Pimp C or Bun B, they will tell you loud and clear. We signed to Jive Records because we wanted right. to be on the label Too Short was on. Mm -hmm. uh, Spice One eventually found his way over to Jive through um, another um, acquaintance of mine, which was uh, Georgette, mm -hmm. who tapped into me and was like, I want to help Spice One put his shit out. And blah blah blah, and I, you know, paved the way to 
a deal to Jive Records. I didn't get no money off that deal or nothing, but sure. I didn't want no money off the shit. And I'm just like, yeah. found their way there. Um, if you talk to E40, he would probably say uh, Short being at Jive was very influential on me sure. ending up at Jive, which he ended up bringing the click, mm-hmm. be legit. They all got down. It was a big thing. Um, uh, later in life, I uh, come across a, a friend of mine who had always been with us, Dangerous Crew, from day one. Like I said, Ted Bohannon financed uh, Dangerous Music. Mm-hmm. His right-hand man at the time was Chris Hicks. Mm-hmm. Chris Hicks, right there with us for years, finally decides, I'm going to get my feet wet. His first two artists was the Loonies, Loonies. and Drew Down, yep. which uh, both, the Loonies didn't record their album at my studio, but Drew Down did. Mm-hmm. His first album, Pimp of the Year, all that shit, made for free at Two Short Studio, because we all the homies. Uh, the Loonies were right there. They, they, um, you know, it's some, the reason why the Loonies ever said something bad about me on the song is because of all that little shit that happened. Mm-hmm. We were all hanging together, and some shit happened that they was a little salty about. It was nothing but love now, but you know, it was sure. a fa- it was a family fight, and you know, during all this time, from me being independent with Dean, seventy five girls learn the game, being independent with Dangerous Music doing our own thing, executing the game, signing the Jive Records, being with the major label all those years, and then coming back to being independent was, you know, throughout my years with Jive Records, I I brought a lot of people to Jive Records. Like, we did all kind of projects with them. We I did a little label with them called Short Records. Mm-hmm. I put out some shit with them. Uh, uh, Little John, uh, I tried to get him a deal at Jive, but they didn't believe in him. Mm. So he ended up doing his, a deal with TVT, mm-hmm. and then Jive fell in love with him after the fact and gave him so much money to produce so many records over at Jive. Oh, but I'm that's sure. all because of the Too Short connection and turning yeah. them, turning that whole little pipeline on, which you got Lil John's production with Petey Pablo, mm-hmm. E-40, um, the stuff he did with Usher, you know, the, mm-hmm. all that shit was giving birth through things that I did. And, you know, I just, I feel like um, at a certain point, I could have stayed around the major label world Mm -hmm. and just keep, the the deal is, you package something, you take it to friends of yours, people that you fuck with at certain labels, they give you a good budget, you work the fucking system, you get the shit and you get your percentages and whatever. And, in the back of my mind, after playing that game for years and years and years and fighting for the budgets and, you know, you're in the pipeline, though. You're on a major label. Once they approve something, it's going out there mm-hmm. in a major mm-hmm. way. But if it doesn't go in a major way, they turn a cold shoulder on you. Yeah. You're like, they don't like mediocre. They don't like regional. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. these are things that our Bay Area Foundation is telling us, you know, I'm not going to say mediocre is great, but regional is great. Sure. Yeah. It's fucking great. If... You, if you look at the country like uh, down south, Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, and you can only penetrate the West Coast and down south, great career. If you can only get the West Coast yeah. and the Midwest, great fucking career. Any, any, and if you only just get one, if mm-hmm. you're an artist that they only like you on the West Coast and you're independent, you have a great fucking career. Major labels don't buy into sure. that at all. They don't like that shit. You're a fucking failure. You're a flop. And... I looked at that shit and, and my battles with the labels never really 
took like major losses dealing with too short. Mm -hmm. But when I try to bat for somebody else and I'm fighting a fucking no win situation because the major label, I'm like, they're like, we don't give a fuck if it's a good artist. We right. want that shit to instantly hit yeah. or get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. And that's a game you got to want to play. I know how to play it. I love the independent game. I just love saying that I'm here at this shit right now and ain't no major label financing this shit. Mm -hmm. Ain't nobody calling me telling me what the fucking time I can go in this lab and that lab and what the next single got to be and who, who we fucking with, who we not fucking with. This is our shit. Mm -hmm. And as the, in about 2005, 2006, I'm still on Jive Records. And I, I start, um, I, I run into Ghazi. Mm -hmm. Ghazi was pretty much known for uh, beats, mixing, shit like that. Okay. Ghazi's like, I work for this company called Ingrooves, and um, we do a, you know, digital only distribution. Mm -hmm. No CDs, no wax, no nothing, just just digital only. And I'm like, well, how's that shit working? Because you know, I'm still like, right, Jive Records. I'm still putting out independent products, but it's through distributors who press up wax and CDs and all this shit. And he's like, he's like, all right, just he like, give me some shit that you don't give a fuck about. Give me like, you know, some old compilations, some just some shit you put out mm -hmm. that it came and went and you don't care. So I gathered up some music, some old shit we did before a jive, a couple of things we did on the side, and I was like, okay, here's the X amount of projects that came and went. Mm -hmm. Immediately, probably 60, 90 days later, the checks start coming. And he's like, I told you. Yeah. And he was like, give me a um, give me an album, like a, a two short. I, I can't remember which one I did because I did so many with it. Mm -hmm. But he's like, give me like some two short throwaway songs or something. I just packaged some songs I had together, gave him a name. That shit made so much money. So I'm like, I was convinced early on with Ghazi and Ingrooves before it became Empire because mm -hmm. he eventually right. Uh, turn that into empire, but I um I was convinced early on that just like when I'm selling tapes in the streets, just like when I'm independent on 75 Girls record when we when we put out Born to Mac on Dangerous Music, it's the same shit. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a different way of doing it. Like instead of catching the bus and getting off on different stops and walking around selling tapes to to weed drug dealers. I'm fucking just doing this shit on the internet. That's how I right. say it. Sure. So, um, found my way back to independence, and it's like, you know, right now I don't, I don't see it like a, I don't look back like, you know, I did what I did. I, I look back like, you know, shit. I, what I did in the past is the foundation for what I'm doing now. Like sure. that's just my, yeah, my yeah. credibility. I'm not, it's, I'm, I'm not believing that. There's an expiration date on rappers. Your expiration date is you. Sure. The day you sit there, and I don't care how old you are, when you fucking sit at home with your big titty bitch and playing PlayStation and smoking back-to-back -back blunts, and you start putting the hustle in, that's that's your expiration date, not mm -hmm. not not hip hop. So right. I really admire the guys who keep pushing, and I don't fault. 
the the two sides, like the the critics on the on the old side are saying I don't like the new shit. The critics on the young side are saying get your old ass out the way. Right. You know, like move. Sure. I'm sitting there going, I see the fucking big picture. Mm-hmm. Like we gave these youngsters the game and they get money off of it. Mm-hmm. So respect that. You're going you're going to give them the game and say, "Oh, but you got to do it just like I did it." Right. No motherfucker. Like this, this is we're expressing ourselves. You did your expression, now let us express ourselves. Mm-hmm. On the other side, I'm saying, I know a lot of OG rappers that get a lot of money as OGs. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I was fucking platinum, 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 platinum in my 20s and 30s. I'm telling you, you would love to be 20 years from then, an OG still getting money at yeah. rap. Yeah. So. That get out, move out the way, move your old ass out the way is kind of faulty because you might want to be my old ass one yeah, day. And sure. then all that the new shit is whack shit, even though you sitting there watching them get money, is whack as fuck. That shit is faulty because how you hating mm-hmm. on some shit that you handed down, that you show you showed them how to do it. Now they doing it their way. And you're like, oh man, fuck that. That shit whack. Don't get money. Don't get money. What are you talking about? Like what part of right. the fucking Hip hop is that to tell the next motherfucker, you whack because you getting hella money. That's dumb as fuck. Yeah, for real. So I, that's why I'm at. I'm at. I'm at the part where I'm like, you know, the the, the sexism, the ageism, the whatever the fuck. That's another thing. I I I, I'm, I absolutely love the the surge of female rappers that are killing the game right now. Because okay. all these years we could only accept one or two at a time. Mm-hmm. One chick always got to be the queen and I'm like I love this new shit because this is how it's supposed to it always been like you don't got to talk shit or like like you know they was talking that stripper rapper debate shit it just is what it is just get your fucking money this is hip hop this was a this is a genre of music that came from I mean it literally came from like dust from nothing yeah like it was invented from, and, and a lot of people don't know this shit or even care to know it, but it was invented from New York City taking music out of the schools. Right. And then fucking, we got music in our fucking genes. Mm-hmm. So the fucking music still got created from nothing. From, if it's not going to get created from guitars and keyboards and, and uh, singers and, you know, all this musical talent, we fucking just start talking and beating on tables and, and taking little pieces of songs that the one little piece of the song that that had the good part and extended it that's just amazing man it's there's amazing a, that that became this there's a great story you might already know but um it was some documentary i just saw on hip-hop where they talked about in uh the late 70s there was a blackout in new york and everybody went looting turntables mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there went from being like a couple dozen djs to hundreds of <laughs> that DJs. was the surge yeah that was the fucking shit. Hell Crazy. Yeah. So, hey, that, that's a great story. I think that was that was God's gift to hip hop, and so glad it happened. If you're enjoying this one, um, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out one of my very first interviews was with another West Coast pioneer, uh, my man AMG, the the man behind Bitch Better Have My Money. Um, he, he shared some fun stories with us right when we were starting out the podcast and figuring out what the hell we were doing. So that could be a fun listen as well. 
So let's talk about what you're doing now. We got this complex that we're sitting in. And, I mean, and I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm not going to use the word re relevant. I'm just trying to stay in the game as okay. far as being able to give out opportunities, which I think is the biggest gift you can give somebody, and not by going around looking at people going, I'm going to make you a star. Not mm -hmm. like that. Just like, here's this opportunity, man. It's just space and opportunity, man. Just take advantage, you know? And that's that's just about it. I I love the music so much that I just always look around and try to find talented people to work with each other. Yeah. Not necessarily work with me, just work with each other. And so what do you what do you look for? I know you've worked with you know dozens of artists. Mm -hmm. I know you got your man Arshia here, Dave. Uh, we didn't talk about Dave. His he's a you close friend. You should just keep a, keep an ear open for what I'm doing. Keep your eyes and ears open. Okay. I'm I'm about to run this series of call them mixtapes. We call them playlists. Whatever mm -hmm. the fuck you want to call them. Mm -hmm. It's called the trunk trunk series mm -hmm. and the theory is that I love music that's made for the car with the bass that sounds good if you got a good sound system in your car so that's my whole thing this place is built on that the essence of that woofers in the trunk mm -hmm. the funk all that shit so that's what I'm running that's the, the the next version of Too Short is just trying to present to you shit that you would love to hear in your woofers that's okay. it and that comes from all ages, somewhat different genres. Uh, a lot of it is me, a lot of it is other artists. It's just the shit that, that's in my world. So hopefully um, you will hear it, because if you get a chance to hear it, you'll definitely like sure. it. And if you got that ear for the funk, I mean, the young homies that just pulled up in, on me right now, out of uh, Frisco, young Drew Banger, I mean, he, he about to take me in here right now mm -hmm. and let me hear some, some heat. And you know, they making all the new young hot shit. And I'm, I'm really a student, right. you know what I'm saying? They yeah, try to sure. learn from me, but I'm trying to learn from it at the same time too, so sure. that's how it works. Nice. Um, talk about the podcast. Well, I did a show called, in this room we're in right now, I did mm -hmm. a show for a while with, uh, with um, uh, what was that, net that network? Podcast One. Thank you. <laughs> podcast One, and I was having fun doing the show. We had great guests, yeah. and it got to that point where we had a little clash in my explicit language and their ability to house the show sure. of that nature. So, Who's surprised that Too Short had explicit language? So we kind of came <laughs> to a, a point where it, it just wasn't the right fit. So yeah. I went over to Dash Radio mm -hmm. and did a few, a few months over there. And I just, just in the independent spirit of Too Short, I'm like, let me just regroup mm -hmm. and uh, do it the way I'm supposed to do it. So we have a special area in here just for the podcast show, nice. which could also house other shows if uh, other people wanted to come, you know, do it in in our facility. Yeah. But I'm going to relaunch the show and just nice. kind of, uh, I, I, I need a, it didn't have the right purpose for me. And now that the building evolved into what it is, now I know what the purpose is. And the purpose is just, it's just that funk, that bass. Okay. And all that other. I mean, I, you know, I listened to the boombox and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of the things that impressed us, just, you know, you had a, 
a, a lot of different type of guests, like mm. the diversity of guests that I wasn't necessarily expecting. But I got a lot of diversity in my friends too. Yeah. So, was there was there a guest that sort of surprised you the most? Um, funny about when I do these shows because I make it a point to book guests who are really good at whatever the fuck they do and mm-hmm. they're really popular. Mm-hmm. But I have no fucking idea about it. Okay. And I like that. Yeah. And they try to, a couple of times, well, I'm not going to say a couple of times, almost every time they try to give me some briefing and I'm like, stop. Right. Don't fucking tell me shit because I don't want to, I, I don't know how to interview. You know what I mean? I just know how to have a conversation. We could talk about anything. Yeah. But I don't know how to, like, so, you know, I have no journalist yeah, skills. Just talking. And it, it turns out to be fun. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to, to talk to somebody who, you know, I didn't Google is great. And then I've been in a situation where I've had like people with me or it's more people involved and then somebody's like feeding off Google mm-hmm. and it kind of, it, it irritates certain people. They're like, bro, you're asking me Google right. questions? Sure. Like, what are you looking at over there? Because the right. fucking lame ass questions and it's, yeah. it's like a lot of, if you Google me, you're not going to find too short. Right. You're going to find the shit that made it to the stories. Yeah, yeah, a lot sure. of it's bullshit. A lot of it's got blogged out there. A lot of it's, uh, you could grab the stupidest story and just copy and paste it for years. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, um, I listen to, um, probably people probably wouldn't believe it, I listen to a lot of Howard Stern interviews. Okay. And he's like, like the perfect interviewer or some yeah, shit. for sure. And part of my reason for listening to it is to not be like that, you know? Right. Like, I'm like, this is what an interview is. This is what I don't want to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, kind of shit like that. I, I listen to a lot of people's shit. And in the podcast world, I like I like comedians the best. Okay. And, I, you know, I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, but the funny shit is, is what appeals to me. So, if if you ever come in my world, it's always, it's always going to be fun or funny. Uh-huh. Always. Um... When you, when you're working with new artists today, mm-hmm. what's the? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm getting a sense of kind of what they get from you, but what, what do you? What what are the big landmines that you're steering them away from? Um, I think in in the same the same issues have always existed with artists, and it's it's. The biggest pet peeve I have with a young artist is influences. Mm. And if you're talented, you should take your influences and use them as inspiration, not mimic them. Sure. You know, don't try to be like your favorite person, your favorite artist. Don't. You could could listen to so much of what's hot right now and not even realize that when you get in the studio, you're mimicking that shit. Yeah, sure. You know it. Sure. So... Are you conscious of that? Can you you see when somebody's influencing you? Yeah, I I like to... um, I like to tap into something that's new, a new approach to rap or something, Mm -hmm. Mm hip-hop. I like to tap into it and... And if I applied it to Too Short, it would be in a Too Short way. Okay. So if it's a certain cadence that's mm-hmm. like, oh, I mean, that's the Migos cadence. I could do it 
and and you wouldn't even know that I did it because mm-hmm. I would flip it a little bit to too short style. So it's like this is something that I used to do in the studio with Ant Banks. I would make a song with Ant Banks. I would do a verse. I do the whole fucking song, whatever the fuck. And we listen to the song. He's saying this shit dope. He's like, now go back in there and do it, do do it, too short style. Okay. And all he was saying was go in there and be like, instead of going, I'm on the mic, hollering at a bitch. He's like, go in there and say, I'm on the mic, hollering at that bitch. And like say it like too short. Mm-hmm. Overdo it, drag mm-hmm. it out, pimp it the shit, and go and put the short dog on it. Then I go do the whole song like that. And you hear a lot of my songs like that funky shit, bitch. I'm over, I'm overdoing the shit because. Right. I might be in the studio with somebody like Banks, or I might be in my own head going, all right, now put the thing on it. Because the reason why he could say do it is because I was doing it in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. But I've had different people come to me like, uh, rest in peace, Rapping Ron. Rapping Ron, he came to me one day, pulled me to the side, and he was like, it's this really dope thing you do when you rap that you barely ever do it. Mm. And I was like, what's that? And he showed me, he showed me like on two or three different songs. He said, right when you do that right there. He's like, you do it you once or twice on the whole fucking album. Right. He's like, do that more. Right. So if Rapping Ron passed away, and it was like he would be in my fucking head while I'm writing songs, like, do the shit. Mm-hmm. And I would just slide it in there like a little more often. And then it just turned out to be a too short thing that probably never would have been if he wouldn't have brought it to my attention. And you know, just shit like that. The That's people cool. that, great people you work with, t- tell you things that they like or point out things that you know, just mm-hmm. whatever. I like I like working with producers who produce. Mm-hmm. A lot of producers don't produce. Sure. A lot of producers make beats and they just kick back and see what you do to them. I mean, now it's like you don't even have to meet somebody, right? They just email, upload your beat. And... I've heard people say it um, that beat makers and producers are two different things. You gotta right. you gotta distinguish that in the way you pay them. Sure. And the credit that you give them, yeah. Because I produced a lot of songs that the person who made the beat was definitely not the producer. <laughs> definitely not. The, yeah. That beat was just like twenty five percent of what took place to make sure. the song hot. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't get that. You see that you know they got these websites where you can just buy a beat for fifty bucks mm-hmm. and do it yourself, right? Yeah, you get songwriter credit, not producer. Right. For real though. Yeah. Um, all right, I got a little quick lightning round before I uh, get out of your way. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Uh, Vegas, Miami. Okay. For obvious reasons. Sure. Who's your favorite DJ? Favorite DJ. Uh, damn, who is my favorite DJ? I'm trying to think. When I, you would not believe it, but. I would have to say, I'm not going to say a name, but I'm going to say my favorite DJ has got to be an EDM DJ. Cause Is that right? To be able to get me to go to some EDM festival and lose my just cool yeah. and just get into it, to that world, mm-hmm. that's, that shit is good. So it's a lot of them that do it, but... Um, and I'm not, I'm not the Tiesto kind of EDM. Right. I'm more like the, you know, the... the the Skrillex kind of sure. type, kind of yeah, yeah. that, you know, where you do a little, a little track, more turn little, up. it get, goes in different places. But I I started going to Ultra and, and you know, and shit kind of changed my life, man. I was, I, was right? I moved to Vegas. I was totally against that EDM shit, but then mm-hmm. it just got into my shit. So I like that. 
I mean, I know you collaborate. You know, I know you've done stuff with Gary, who, who I've known a long time, and, I, and some other people. He's one of my favorites, too. Yeah. Just the way they, they work the room. I, I just love that shit. You stand at the DJ booth and you watch the crowd, and you're like, these motherfuckers ain't touching the mic, and they are rocking the crowd. So. It's funny because I talk to a lot, you know, I'm friends with a lot of those guys, and they think, not all, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them think, like, Hip hop is real DJing because you're scratching, you're like you're kind of working a lot harder behind mm -hmm. the tables. Mm -hmm. But you know, but I think like I'm I don't know if you feel the same way, but to me like none of that matters. What matters is with the crowd. Yeah, and I'm not talking about skills. I'm talking right. about yeah. I'm immediately identified with what the crowd is getting. Yeah, that's my shit. Yeah, even in rapper, rapper, all that flipping and rapping and winning the battle and shit. What the right. fuck are you gonna do in front of that crowd, homie? Sure. What uh, what's the last great book you read? The last book that I brag on that I read because it affected me a lot was the the New Jim Crow. Okay. And that's you know I tend to I tend to be more into books that try to talk real life shit sure. than 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 stories being told. Mm -hmm. Like them both, but at the same time, uh, I like the history shit because I like the I like the discrepancies and stories being told of, of what happened. Yeah. Because I think everybody's telling their version. That's what it's called, his story. Yeah. And then you get to put your story together. So I like the fact that um, we got all these people telling all these versions of what happened in the world and shit. Like, let me put my world together. That's what I think the fuck happened. Because none of us know what the fuck happened. We, sure. have we have beaten the fucking truth out of each other. Yeah. That's what I... We, be we beat the shit out of each other. And then we, we beat you so bad to where we, like, fuck your history. And then... <laughs> of course. Your, Fuck your records and kept and libraries and fuck that shit and then we make up new, you know, stuff. Sure. What movie have you seen the most in your life? Um, I probably watch Superfly to Mac and Scarface more than anything. Okay. Mr. Pretty Tony, I mean, you know the rules of the game. I mean, your bitch just chose me. Now we can settle this like you got some class, so we can get into some gangster shit. And Scarface probably the weirdest one, cause when it was at the movie theater, it used to be like a um, a event. Is that right? Like with a whole group of us in Oakland, it was like every Tuesday we go into the same theater, the Park Theater, and watch Scarface. That's funny. We watch it over and over and over again, and then it came out as a movie. And it would just be playing at everybody's house, and you just play it over and over again on VHS. And then the motherfucker came on DVD, and it got popular again. Yeah. They played over and over again, and I don't know what the fuck it is, but that was a uh, uh, that movie um, changed a lot of shit in the fucking country. For sure, like it it ushered in some shit that that you know I once heard it related to how. Tony Montana's character was, was how so many people tried to be for sure in of different parts of the street shit. I'm Tony Montana. Like without that movie, you might. Oh, it's like a million cats out there trying to be Tony Montana. In the yeah, like we might not have been so fucking gangster. <laughs> Some of us, if we didn't have that blueprint, so right. You know, um, you know, hip hop takes a lot of uh, flack, of course, for. The chaos that the inner cities are in, but oh, the movies way more influential to that shit. The movies, I don't, I don't want to name them, but you know the movies, mm -hmm. the ones we emulate and fucking try to 
make us we come out. I, I went to see Beach Street. Uh-huh. We came out the motherfucking theater dancing and rapping. Of course. You know what I'm saying? What the fuck happens when, when you come out from seeing colors? Right. You come out talking about, I'm this gang, I'm that gang and shit, you know? Of course. Like, America wasn't gangbanging before movies. No, I mean, that's how, that's how we learn about culture. Right? Certain cities were. Right. But then when you put it in the movies, for sure, everybody was. Yeah. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow morning having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? Um, if I could just, I, I don't know. I'm a, you know, the, the grass is always greener on the other side. Of course. And you take a guy who a uh, happily married guy, and he's like. Man, I wish I could walk in the club like two shirts just did with those four bitches. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking at him like, man, I wish I had a beautiful wife like that. And I just, uh-huh. I could just have a family like that. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's those kind of things. Like, I, I, I think that, um, you know, when, you, when you're so influenced by something like pimping, and then it's, it, it clouds other parts of, what could be going on in your For life. Sure. I'm, I'm such a pimp, man. It's like, shit. It's just, I, I can't say I wish I woke up when I wasn't such a pimp, but <laughs> I, it's just, there's something a, a little different going on with me. Well, uh, I'm, this is not very good lightning round, but I, I, uh, I mean, I'm on my side. Um, but uh, I, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but since you mentioned it, so I, I know you have a young daughter. Very young. Very young. Um, so how does being a parent, does it affect or change your perspective on, on uh, being a pimp? Well, yeah, you got it. That's what I'm saying right now. Just, I'm trying to wake up with that thing <laughs> and, and get it right. But, you know, I am I think that uh, the one thing our parents would agree to is that you immediately are changed. You immediately. For sure. Immediately all these different uh priorities kick in and yeah and you know to reevaluate I'm, I'm recalculating right now so of course uh i don't it's no shame in my game i just uh i think that i talk in terms of the universe mm-hmm. and it was it had to be sure like what's the thing that two sword needs <laughs> to turn the corner and it would it wouldn't be a child, it would be a daughter. A baby girl. Like literally, like yeah. so. She's the only one, so we, you know, she's gonna look up to me one day and say, Daddy, what's a pimp? <laughs> and then I gotta I gotta prepare. I got a little time to get ready, so I'm, That's right. I I just wanna um you know, keep it real. Just That's keep right. it real. Like I, I I know guys in, in the life who keep it real with their daughters, just keep it real. For sure. Her, her daddy ain't, I'm not a bad guy. I ain't, I ain't got to worry. Uh, you know what I'm saying? My mama raised me good. I'm mm-hmm. going to raise my daughter good. Nice. Short, thanks for talking to us, man. I appreciate Fresh it. Fresh out. That was Too Short on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you leave us comments. You can hit us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want. It's at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.